Welcome to ThinkCast, the Gartner Podcast Channel. Here, we talk with the world's leading analysts and thought leaders about the hottest and most important IT and business topics. We discuss the latest insights, best practices, and informed predictions that will get you thinking about how best to solve your immediate challenges and build a better long-term strategy. So enjoy this ThinkCast conversation. Welcome to this installment of ThinkCast from Gartner. I'm Scott Smith. Now, digital business gives IT leaders a great opportunity to take on a bigger strategic leadership role. The question you might have is, though, sounds great. But how do I do that without shaking things up so badly that I'm out of a job? Your answer is Lead360, driving digital to the core. Okay, that's actually the theme of this year's Gartner Symposium IT Expo series, which you should most definitely learn more about on the events page of Gartner.com. But the theme does serve two purposes, to show how IT leaders can become better, more impactful leaders, and also how IT must take the lead on digital business. And when it comes to driving digital to the core, we call on the men who literally wrote the book on it. Mark Raskino is the Vice President and Gartner Fellow on the CEO Research Team. He's on the line from Gartner's European headquarters in Angham, England. And we also have dialing in from Illinois, Graham Waller, a Vice President on Gartner's Digital Business Leadership Team. Gentlemen, welcome to ThinkCast. It's a pleasure. Great to be here. Thank you. Now, they are also co-authors of a book, Digital to the Core, Remastering Leadership for Your Industry, Your Enterprise, and Yourself. And in the explanation to the book, uh, gentlemen, right at the top, it says, there is no simple strategic method for dealing with the multidimensional nature of digital change. Even the sharpest leaders can become disoriented as change builds on change, leaving almost nothing certain. And I guess the place I'd like to start is with that, that disorientation, is it just that the business leaders are not grasping the impact of digital change, or is it that it's just proving too overwhelming for them, even when they do grasp it? Well, Scott, it's a mixture of both things. You know, the, the impact is enormous, and then they don't always grasp it, and it does sometimes prove overwhelming. I think we're seeing a lot of companies in different industries say, oh, I can see, you know, Uber is happening to some people, or I can see that the car industry is changing with autonomous vehicles, but I'm not sure that this applies to me. And my industry is very protected by regulation and is very steady state and it's not likely to change. And yet, the industries that are being disrupted now would have said exactly the same thing themselves just three or four years ago. And for them, it's a really sudden shock. So it's quite easy, I think, to sit back and say, I can't see what's happening. And I don't think that applies to me yet. And one of the reasons is because it's so multidimensional, because we've got different levels of change, some of them historic and catch up, some of them contemporary and not very well understood, and some of them, the new ones building on top of that, even more disruptive again. So the enterprise leaders are not very practiced at understanding how information and digital technologies change industries because they've been dealing with things like the global recession for the last few years. And so it's quite easy for them to marginalize and to convince themselves that, yes, something might happen in future, but not quite on my watch. 
So there's a mixture of things going on from different points of provenance and history that are allowing some leaders to be just a little too complacent. I don't think they're completely unaware. They are aware. They're just not quite acting fast enough. Yeah, just to build on that, Mark, I think you've absolutely uh, described maybe not grasping the impact to your question, Scott. There's also a component of being overwhelmed, which we definitely see so many options. I think the problem can be that the mindsets and the behaviors from a leadership purpose are too anchored in the past and not necessarily fit for purpose, if you will, for the digital business era. So that can lead to some unconscious bias at times to overly rely on and fall back to what is known and not be maybe innovative enough be able to move forward in the face of uncertainty and to really drive the necessary innovation from a leadership style point of view. Now, I want to move forward with what's in the book and what you found and so forth. But before we do, I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. Um, When we're talking about digital change, what does that encompass? Well, it encompasses pretty much everything is encompassed here. So... That's one of the reasons, I think, that it's becoming so difficult for leaders to deal with. It isn't a matter of saying that we do digital in, say, marketing or we do digital in selling by electronic commerce. That's no longer a sufficient analysis of how digital change is impacting the company, nor is it enough to say, well, we'll continue to use, let's say, internet technologies or internet generation technologies inside the company for efficiency purposes in our collaboration software or in our uh, supply chains. It's actually becoming the case that digital is penetrating into products and services. And it's beginning to do that into all products and services. So the way to think about this is that digital is becoming part of what you make and what you sell, not just the way you make and sell it, but what you make and what you sell. And so your products and services are becoming digitalized. That therefore means that competitive advantage in your industry depends on the quality of your product, which then means it's the quality of your ability to exploit the latest advances in digital in your product. And that means, of course, you're going to have all the competencies to do that and a strategy for doing that. And so it goes right into core competency, core of business strategy, not only for the company, but also that starts to impact at whole industry level. And so there's a lot more at stake, perhaps, than there used to be. So we're trying in this book to create a model with some forces and abstractions that helps you think that through at the right level and stay orientated. So we talk about three separate forces that are impacting. One is called the resolution revolution, and that's really about technology and how it changes data. So we have data today that gives us a much more detailed and rich information about what is going on, what is going on as cars drive, what is going on as people consume media, what is going on transaction by transaction. The level of detail coming from all of the sensors in all of the objects in the world, all of the things connected to the internet, creates a far more high definition, if you like, picture of what's going on. 
So what that allows us to manage more effectively and create new opportunities and situations. And then also we can control things in incredible detail. So we can switch things on and off remotely. We can adjust things remotely. You'll think about things like you know, your smartphone app that opens and closes doors on your car. So overall, we have this resolution effect that allows for new designs in business to be created. So that's a really powerful force, and it kind of abstracts us from the hurly-burly of individual technologies and takes us up to that kind of business model, business planning level. Then we've got, however, if every industry is doing this and every company is starting to do this, we create a lot of uncertainties because there are great new innovations in play and we just don't know exactly when they will happen. So we, the second force is what we call compound uncertainty. So that is to do with the fact that you're waiting for the technological progress, the specific price points, specific performance levels. You're waiting also for regulatory change and you're waiting for cultural change. So there's all this stuff about when people are creeped out by stuff and then two years later they all get used to it and they're happy. Then there's all this stuff about will the regulator allow this or not and when. So that creates a compounding of uncertainties between the technological and the cultural. So that compound uncertainty is our second force. And the third force is when all that's going on, what you actually find is that the inventiveness and the creativity of products and services propositions that have been digitalized really starts to break down the boundary walls between different industries. So all of a sudden, an industry that thought it understood where its natural boundary walls were, what distinguishes, for example, a bank from a retailer, what distinguishes a tech company from an auto car maker, those boundaries are almost being dissolved by some of this technology. And of course, you can see companies like Apple and Amazon and Google sort of starting to move into other people's sectors. And so that third force, the boundary blurring between industries, is very powerful. So we have this resolution revolution, compound uncertainty, and boundary blurring as these three major forces. Most important, these are hitting at industry level. So it's not a matter of saying... It's just what my company does. It's how is my industry going to change? And possibly even, will I recognize the nature of my industry five to ten years from now after we've been through all of this? And uh, for some of them, it really becomes quite difficult to understand what their industry would look like in five to ten years' time as a result of all this digitalization. And so now we take three levels of view. We have to say the only way you can stay orientated is first to understand the industry-level changes that are taking place in your industry, how it will reshape and how it will be reshaped by interaction with others. The second level you have to take this down to is, of course, your enterprise level. What kinds of competencies do we need? What organization do we need? What behaviors do we need? And what culture do we need to be fully digital and to really survive and thrive in, in, through this change? And then finally, we get down to this level of self. You know, in the end, companies only change, industries only change because of leaders. And leaders are individual human beings. And to be a digital leader, you need different thought patterns and different kinds of competencies and abilities. And so you've got to do something about changing who you are to help lead the change in your company and your industry. So we have these three forces and these three levels, and that creates a, a, like a frame of this digital change. So when we say, as I started my answer, it changes everything. We're not saying that glibly. We absolutely mean that precisely. 
everything, right down to the core of your understanding what your company is in business to do. Right? It becomes that serious. You've only got to look at the car industry at the moment to see that with autonomous vehicles and Uber and all of those kinds of things. So wouldn't you say, Graham? Well, and actually, let me, uh, Graham, let's uh, turn to the book itself in, in that, uh, and I'm really struck by the the subtitle in many ways, more than digital to the core, which is remastering leadership for your industry, your enterprise, and yourself. The three levels Mark just discussed. Really, this is a leadership book uh, on top of being a book about digital business, digital change. What are you and Mark trying to achieve with digital to the core? A great question, Scott. With so passionate about what is possible here and just how disruptive it is. We're trying to inspire CIOs and indeed other C-level leaders how to take digital to the core, how to really make a difference, not at the marketing and channel level, as Mark described, but as the very products and services and core customer value propositions. Also, how to harness the power of the three disruptive forces, resolution, revolution, boundary blurring, and compounded uncertainty. Not be, if you will, overwhelmed or tossed in the tide, but how to harness the power of those things in a very positive way, transforming them into new products, new services, taking digital to be a competitive advantage. And most importantly, with the book, with Digital The Core, we're looking to provide an orientation framework a compass, if you will, to help navigate and stay on course despite all of the uncertainty that we're dealing with not only today, but we will continue to going forward. So this orientation framework provides a level of abstraction, something you can always come back to if you're feeling lost or overwhelmed. No matter what technology changes happen, new ideas or new competitive moves, always be able to come back and reground yourself with the framework. And as Mark described, the framework operates at the three major levels. And we certainly believe in starting outside in. So first at the industry level with the notion of how do we remaster our products and services? How do we deal with non-traditional competitors and be very proactive in navigating the industry change? Secondly, at the enterprise level, it covers items like how we need to be a team sport to take digital to the core. It impacts everybody. And so from a leadership point of view, how do we get everyone being more digitally savvy to upgrade, if you will, the C-suite, the board, other leaders taking new digital competencies to the core of our business? And most importantly, as Mark mentioned, at a personal level, all great things happen from leaders and making the change, driving the energy. So helping people adapt their leadership style to be fit for purpose for the digital business demands, this highly volatile, fast-moving, disruptive world, the context in which people are leading. And with that, we distilled out of our research, working with CIOs and other uh, business leaders, the key behaviors that we articulated in terms of personas, so, for example, how to be an attractor of the necessary talent and ideas to be successful in digital business, or how to be a cartographer and remap the future, if you will, to be fit for purpose, to take advantage of the new terrain, the new competitive landscape, as well as the internal 
processes, structures, and behaviors so that we can move at the necessary marketplace speed with the necessary levels of business innovation. I want to shift into some of the success stories and some best practices for helping our listeners become their own digital success stories in a moment. But first, I want to remind everyone that driving digital to the core is a key theme of this year's Gartner Symposium IT Expo series. And you can find out more about Gartner Symposium IT Expo on the events page of Gartner.com. Now, Mark, I want to actually come back to you for a look at some of the negatives in this case, because I think a lot of the listeners might be hearing this and say, hey, no problem. We're on the right track to digital business success. And yet there might be some red flags lurking. So from your research for the book, what are some of those red flags that you've seen? So I think one of the the things you find most often is just surrounds the D word, you know, the digital word. And people use that really quite superficially. I know that sounds disparaging, but I'm trying to help. Just saying digital everywhere doesn't really help. Often people use it very loosely and around the leadership table, they're all at cross purposes. They mean actually different things. And when you do get into there, what do you mean by digital? Digital what, you know? And when you really get under the hood, in a lot of cases, it's quite rear-facing. In some cases, it's just catching up with electronic commerce. And to be frank, the thing that they would call strategic is catching up with e-business, something that was a concept from 10 to 15 years ago that they haven't really done properly because they've been doing other things in business strategy for a long time. Another set of answers is really around digital marketing. So that's fine. Digital marketing's fine. There's nothing wrong with electronic commerce either. But those are not sufficient any longer. So yes, you do have to catch up with electronic commerce. And yes, you, you should be using digital marketing rather than more conventional marketing. And there's a mixed change there. So you should have everything become more digital in your marketing. Those are givens. But that is no longer sufficient. So it's a superficial analysis where people are still essentially just looking at electronic commerce, e-business, or digital marketing. And that's really just about changing the way you sell. Now we're talking about changing what it is you make and what it is you sell. And that is a different level of the game. So the biggest warning flag is when people talk about digital very generally and without specificity. And when you dig in, they're too far behind. I think the second thing is that Obviously, you know, you've got steady state traditional industries locked in behind regulatory barbed wire with investors that have a certain amount of expectation from a certain kind of model. And so polishing or perhaps incrementally extending today's model using digital is the other warning flag. If you look at some of the bigger companies today, they're having to make wholesale changes, much deeper changes. They're going to invest very big. They're going to, in the digital direction, they're going to shut down or curtail some of the traditional direction, and that's where you end up going. But if you start with just saying, well, I'm going to use the same uh, business model, producing the same things in broadly the same way, with broadly the same pricing and distribution method, you're probably missing it, right? You're probably missing the change. I mean, look at the distance between conventional taxi driver activity and Uber, or between hotels and Airbnb, or between iTunes and conventional public music. Those gaps are huge. Those gaps are going to hit every industry. And if your business model is just a tiny increment of polish on the thing you've been doing 50 years, you're probably not quite there yet. So those are warning signals for me. Graham? Yeah, just to add to that, Mark, I think the ability to move the culture 
forward at a pace or ahead of the pace of the marketplace change in which you're leading is another warning sign that uh, I've seen in the research and the people we spoke to. It can come back to an over-reliance on past behaviors. I think about Marshall Goldsmith. He famously introduced to the leadership change vernacular, what got you here won't get you there. And at the time, I think he was talking about, you know, moving up through the executive hierarchy. But there's a very analogous inflection point happening now as digital business changes the environment in which people are leading, it can render old leadership behaviors, particularly management thinking, as irrelevant, ill-suited, or impediments for success. And I think the trick is to change some of those mindsets and, and remaster leadership, not throw the baby out with the bathwater, but to remaster it, restructure it in key ways to be more fit for the highly innovative and high speed and high uncertainty climate in which we're leading. Maybe I can just give a, a simple example just to illustrate that point and contrast, if you will, maybe a, a traditional leadership set of behaviors around an investment portfolio with those of a leader looking to disrupt in the marketplace. So in the very traditional sense, the thinking and the behaviors would be grounded in certainty, in this desire to only invest in projects to the greatest extent possible where we have a proven business case. And when we do invest in a portfolio of projects, to have all the projects be green from a program execution point of view. And if I contrast that with maybe how a, a disruptive digital leader thinks, they are far more open to invest in a portfolio of projects knowing that they won't all be successful. You know, maybe we're investing 10 to find the three breakthrough wins and we're fell fast on the other seven. So it's a very different set of behaviors and something that leaders need to adapt to to be able to work much more in harmony with the uncertainty of the marketplace while still obviously ultimately driving desired business outcomes. So let's turn to some of those desired business outcomes. What are some of the more noteworthy success stories that you found and have profiled in the book? Well, one of the companies that we interviewed for the book is a company called Babola, and they are a French company They're based in Lyon in France, and they are a specialist. They make tennis equipment. So they're not very big, you know, kind of that mid-size, uh, but they've been around for a very long time, uh, Scott. They've been around since the 1880s or something. And Eric Babala, who we interviewed for the book, is the chief executive. He's the fifth-generation leader from this company because it's, it's a family kind of firm. Now, if you play tennis, you're going to know the name of this company, Babala, because their rackets uh, are, are used by some of the top players on, on the circuit. And But they've obviously got to compete against, you know, big companies like Nike and Head and Wilson uh, and so on. So all the time throughout history, their question is always, you know, what do we do to make this generation of tennis even better? And they reinvented their products using digital, and they really literally taken digital to the core. So they've put digital sensors, accelerometers, um, in the handle of the tennis racket, right? So you buy a tennis racket now, which has sensor equipment buried in the handle. You buy one of these rackets, it's exactly the same weight and balance as the conventional top-end racket. It's just got this digital addition. And that will stream data, which is then analyzed by complex algorithms, and will give you huge amounts of information about your game. 
So on your iPad, on your smartphone, you're going to get displays telling you about all your forehand drop shots and you know, how often you hit the sweet spot and all of that kind of stuff. Amazing amounts of data. And in doing this, they have literally changed the game of tennis. So they're now at the lead edge of putting data into the game of tennis. So Eric Babala personally had to go to the International Tennis Federation to get a rule change in the rules of the game of tennis in order to be able to get this equipment to be used during, during match play. And Rafael Nadal does use this racket now in match play. And the ability to see and see that incredible data, that's what I was talking about earlier, the resolution revolution, to understand every single shot you ever played in every match you ever played, because it's all going up to the cloud, it's all stored, and to compare and contrast that with other players' performance stats and to have your trainer help you with that, that's an absolute, literal game changer, right? Now, to take digital into the core of your company when previously your competency was in things like animal gut strings or fiberglass rackets, that's a huge shift. And to reorganize your competitive advantage, to change the nature of how the, your industry is controlled, in this case the sport is controlled, that's the kind of revolution that we're talking about. So when we say digital changes everything. This is the kind of example we're talking about. And it's fascinating how they break out everywhere. If you'd asked me five years ago, what would be the next industry to be changed, Scott? I wouldn't say, you know, sports equipment, specifically tennis rackets. But that's just one of them that seems to have popped up first. So that example really comes to mind. And already they're winning awards and they're clearly getting their brand elevated. So the success comes in the smaller company looking like the lead edge company in that sector. So just to build on that, Mark, the company that I would cite would be General Electric. They have a lot of things in common with the example you shared from Babala. They are taking digital right to the core of some of their products and services. They're also a very established company, an old company, over 100 years old, making this core change. However, they're a global company and an industrial company, so so different in some ways in the scale of their, of their business. I mentioned they're taking digital to the core of their products and services. That's one of the key differentiators. So in GE's case, that is the industrial internet strategy. And an example would be rather than just selling aircraft engines or gas turbines or other you know, heavy industrial equipment assets, they are looking to harness the power of the resolution revolution force that Mark discussed earlier. So the streams of data that those assets are producing and then building analytical insights, algorithms, and services that help their customers get more efficiency out of those assets. So it's a, it's a transformation to be more of a services and a business outcome play, taking the digital information and software and analytics and providing value to their customers in new ways. And in order to do that, they are elevating new core competencies of the business, elevating software and analytics as an example, as well as digital methods to move faster. And the last piece that I'd cite is the change of culture that is needed to do that. In GE's case, they are complementing the move of methods and the ability to transform their products with a set of beliefs, the cultural change, if you will, behavioral anchors that they're rolling out to have a culture that is more in line with the demands of this digital world. 
So one specific example of a GE belief would be to deliver results in an uncertain world, explicitly acknowledging that uncertainty and how they need to move forward. And under that, there's concepts such as the need to act with urgency and play to win, the need to have the courage to make the bets that others won't. And I think these things define the needed characteristics and traits in order to drive the business outcomes. And while it's still early in the strategy, I think we're seeing some success in terms of the revenues that are increasingly coming from more software and services elements of the GE business rather than the traditional assets themselves, selling aircraft engines and gas turbines. So that mix is changing and their ability to differentiate and fend off competitors with that is what they're looking to achieve. Just from the two examples there, you can hear the wide range that uh, digital change brings to us, whether it's a a family-owned business in a specific industry to the global conglomerate that GE is. Uh, But Mark, earlier, I was also struck by the wide range you discussed that when it comes to the boardroom and so forth that people have in terms of how they approach or even define digital business. So let me ask both of you, what should leaders consider to determine where they stand now relative to where they need to be for digital business, digital change? Absolutely, Scott. As we talked earlier, there's a need to start outside in, start with your industry. And the three questions that I'd come down to in terms of how to consider where you stand now would be first, at an industry level, how is your industry being digitally remastered? Really understanding that. Non-traditional competitors, how will they disrupt? How will these forces that we talked about, like resolution, revolution, the, the explosion of information that just wasn't available before, how will that change the industry and how can you harness it to bring new value? The second area would be at the enterprise level with the question, how are you taking digital to the core of your business? Are you doing that fast enough? Are you remastering your products and services in ways that you will retain your compelling value proposition or the way that you serve citizens if you're in the government sector? And are you upgrading, if you will, and having the necessarily digital savviness and digital appropriate leadership in your culture? And the third part is the personal part. Now, all of this change only happens via people, only happens via the necessary leadership. So is your leadership style fit for purpose of the digital era demands? Have you remade your leadership mindset and behaviors to work within this highly volatile and uncertain climate? So those would be the three main areas that I'd love to consider in preparing for digital business. So we're considering that to know where we're at. And and so what do we need to do to get to where we want to be? What are the steps we should be taking now to move on the right path to be digital to the core? So the first step really is to think about your strategic situation. Digital is now big enough that it becomes a major plank of business strategy. And I think one of the the big shifts at the moment is that it's hard to really conceive of how you would do a new business strategy exercise. You know, we'd say, oh, this is our business strategy for the next five to 10 years without digital being a huge element of that. And if it's not there, you've probably got a problem. 
and to do that, to look at your strategic circumstance, that's why we, we came up with these three forces. You know, you should use these three forces to analyze your strategic situation, and you must do that from a very, very much outside in. And when we say outside in, we don't even mean just outside your enterprise. We probably mean outside your existing industry, since either the threat change or the example change that will end up uh, being replicated in your sector is going to come from somewhere outside of it. So you have to look very wide-ranging. The next specific step that leaders need to be taking is to say explicitly to themselves and to everyone around their company that digital is going to become part of a change to the product itself and the business model. So allowing digital to be cast or to be discussed as some sort of marketing and selling overlay is itself perilous. And so leaders must start actively targeting digital product change and digital business model change as the place where they're doing this work. Now, obviously, that's very challenging. So the next specific thing that leaders must be doing is to create a program of education. This would be a program of education at board level. It starts at the, you know, the ownership board level, the, the non-executive directors and those people, the chairman. No point in having a company that doesn't understand its business model is going to change and its investors are going to need to change. So you need education as an actual program of work at board level, at operating committees, so C-suite level, and in a couple of layers of management below that. And uh, Graham talked about the amount of culture shifting that's needed. You know, this doesn't just happen on its own. It's not going to happen because people read a few uh, articles in the Wall Street Journal. So creating a program of work specifically to get people educated about how digital technologies create business model change and product change, that's essential if you're going to make the move. The next action is it aligned to what, to what Graham just said? You actually have to sort of make a mental note or a news resolution or something to challenge yourself as a leader. You know, you may be in your 30s, your 40s, your 50s. A lot of what you've learned has created a behavioral envelope in what you consider leadership to be that leaves great big blind spots and some inadequate behaviors. So you actually, you know, just like you'd go for a, a new diet regime or something like that, you have to challenge yourself to change your leadership style, and that means taking on one or more of the personas that we identified here. Things like, I am going to become an adventurer. I'm going to take almost thrill-ride level risks against my background because that's the way we're going to make real deep innovation progress. Or, I am going to be a cartographer. I'm going to be the person that really understands where to draw the new lines on our org chart to fit in the new competencies, be they something like, you know, design thinking or data science. And the next leadership action is to understand that you want to be a leader of leaders. And now, you know, Graham rightly points out that this is a whole team sport. There's nobody around the C-suite table who is going to be uninvolved in this. You know, legal needs to change the terms and conditions, and HR needs to go and find a whole new different type of talent, and sales has to change the distribution strategy, and product development has to change the kind of engineering competencies. Everyone's involved. The question is, who's catalyzing that change amongst the leaders, forcing the pace and making sure that it's happening, making sure it's happening evenly and integrated? You know, that's partly a chief executive role. Uh, but we believe that CIOs can step forward to be in quite a strong position in being that catalytic leader of leaders uh, to make digital business into a team sport. And um, finally, to reconstruct the future of your company, 
you really want to look outside at the what we refer to as the born digital companies, you know, the Uber, Google, Amazon, and all those kinds of people, Facebook. And you say, okay, a lot of these companies are designing what the future of business looks like in a digital era and may even start to compete directly in our sector. Either way, they frame the future. And they are winning. They are growing like bilio. They are making lots of money. They are the leading companies of our era, of our age, of our stock markets these days. So whatever it is they're doing, you've got to say to yourself, I want me some of that. So adopting the competencies of these born digital companies, just copying, basically saying, what is it that they do that we can copy? And not being so sort of fatalistic as to say, oh, well, you know, they've got all these special skills and abilities and opportunities and we can't do that. That's not good enough any longer. It's got to be, what exactly are they doing and how do they copy it? It's not, by the way, all rocket science. Some of it is, but not all of it. And there are bits you can copy. So adopting those competencies would be uh, the final one of the steps I'd advise. Mark, we'll let that be the last word. So thank you to Gartner Fellow and Vice President Mark Raskino and Gartner Research Vice President Graham Waller for an outstanding and informative discussion. Their book again is Digital to the Core, Remastering Leadership for Your Industry, Your Enterprise, and Yourself. And we invite you to join Gartner at Symposium IT Expo to explore in depth Lead360, Driving Digital to the Core. Just go to the events page of Gartner.com for more information. I'm Scott Smith. You can reach me at scott.smith at Gartner.com. Thanks for listening to ThinkCast. Gartner is an impartial, independent analyst of the information technology industry. All content provided by other enterprises is expressly the views of those enterprises and the speakers. The information should not be construed as a Gartner endorsement of said enterprise's products or services. Thank you for listening to this latest installment of ThinkCast from Gartner. We hope it gets you thinking about new ways to approach your IT and business concerns. We also want to know what you're thinking. So contact us with your feedback, questions, and ideas at scott.smith at gartner.com or via Gartner's Talking Technology Twitter feed at TTS underscore Gartner. And check out our other compelling ThinkCast conversations at gartner.com slash podcasts. Thank you. Thank you.